these theme messages are intended to provide us as a congregation with a prophetic trajectory for a given year. I got lots of water. That's really good. They are not intended to be confining in any way. But rather they are to open a door into a dynamic of the Spirit that has to do with this house as we are positioned as a part of the broader house of the Twin Cities, Minnesota, the U.S. and the world. For we are linked together inextricably with the body of Christ around the world and what the Spirit of God is breathing into His body around the world. So grateful this morning to welcome Steve Gartland here. Steve serves as a regional director for Alpha Ministries. Steve, if you stand up, we just want to honor. Thank you for being present with us this morning. We are so glad. We also have the national coordinator for training and partnerships here with us this morning for Alpha. That would be my daughter, Eleanor Cherkowski, who is... uh, just this week began a new position with Alpha USA in their national office. We are a part of something larger than just Bethel. And in the midst of the part that God has given us here to do, we want to do our part in full cooperation with Him and with His purposes and with His heart. Again, towards that end, we do a theme message for the year. Now, I just want to give you some recent themes simply to kind of remind you of where we've been because where we've been informs where we're going and understand that these are all threads in a fabric, in a tapestry. It's not like Well, 2010 is done, and 9 and 8 and whatever, and so those themes, well, they don't matter anymore. No, each of these are woven together in our life. Each of them become a thread in that tapestry of what God is doing. 2005, our 75th year celebration as a congregation, was the year of destiny. A year of destiny. In 2006... It was a year of bounty. 2007 was a year of inheritance. As we moved forward, 2008 was a year of outpouring. 2009, a year of opportunity. And 2010 was a year of restoration. All of that brings us now to 2011 which is a year of, you think I would tell you yet. (laughs) Be patient. We'll get there. I want to take a moment 
to remind us of 2010, a year of restoration. Somebody asked me recently and said, can you remind us or can you just share with us just a little bit of what you have seen as a part of this past year, a year of restoration? What are the things that God has restored? And many of you put a piece of, of uh, you put an index card here in this ask box this past year, asking the Lord for some specific things as it relates to restoration in your life. I know I had a card in that box of what I've asked the Lord for in this past year. And the Lord has definitely worked a work of restoration in that area of my life personally. But I want to take a moment this morning just to remind us of what the Lord has done for us in this year of restoration corporately. And the thing that came to my heart to share with you this morning as it relates to that is I believe that the Lord has brought to us a fresh fresh restoration of our calling. And here's what I want you to understand. In that restoration, I believe that the Lord has taken the calling that He has on this house and He has made it something more than simply an aspirational calling. Something that we are actually, you know, that we're, we're seeking and looking and pursuing. But I believe that in this past year, I have seen a distinct radical shift in the congregation where that which has been aspirational has become incarnational. It is now a part of our very fabric of who we are as a congregation. And I could give you countless examples of that. I will not do that this morning, but I will remind you of what that calling is that He has restored to us. Bethel Christian Fellowship is called to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. This is our calling. My prayer, if you are here for the very first time this morning, you've never been in this congregation before, My earnest desire is that through your experience here today, you have experienced life and joy. I have. I trust you have as well. As we have gathered together here as a congregation. But it's not only when we gather here, but it's shot through everything and every part of our life together. We are called as a house of prayer for all nations to radiate that life and joy. I shared an email with the congregation this week. And um, I just want to remind you of what I shared there. And if you're not on our email list and you want to be, you've got to let Liz know. Just email us and we'll put you on that list so you can get all Bethel announcements. Yesterday we said goodbye to a very, very dear friend of ours, Borgie Thompson. Today we were actually intending, many of you know that today we were going to be celebrating Borgie's 88th birthday and her 70th anniversary of coming to this church in 1941. Borgie and her sisters, Signe, Olivia, 
and Evelyn were here in the very early days. They were pioneers in this congregation helping to establish. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. Through their blood, sweat, and tears. Their incredible sacrificial giving. Their prayers. Their perseverance. Their faithfulness. Their commitment. Their leadership. We stand on those who have gone before us. And I said in my email to you after Borgie's passing that I really felt like there was a prophetic significance to this weekend and somehow in terms of that that shift and that threshold that we're walking over, that God's done something, that there's a significance to this. And I believe as I've been praying and meditating and thinking about that, that really Borgie was a living example for us of this calling. And she's now restored fully in glory. She's had her year of restoration. Hallelujah. And has left for us a legacy. Julie Thompson handed me something. She didn't know I was going to talk about this. This morning, but this is just perfect, Julie. Just a a word that the Lord gave her while we were worshiping here this morning. She said, with the passing of Borgie, our house has been sent on, has sent on ahead our link to our early heritage. She was a part of what is known as the great generation. Boomers. We are becoming the next generation of elders in every positive sense that our culture often Culture of often denies. denies. Yeah. Let us take up the mantle with joy. Let us be very intentional in how we impact the next generations. The Lord has blessed this house with many young'uns. Let us pour His life into their lives. Within this calling, we have a particular identity. We are called as a house of hospitality, a place to belong. Now, if any of you knew Borgie at all, how many of you, we did this yesterday at the funeral, how many of you have ever had, well, you probably don't even know you've had, many of you, but how many of you know that you've had some Borgie treats, some bread, cookies, and just look around you, okay? Yeah. Borgie embodied hospitality. Just it, it, It just came through and out of her life in every way. And it wasn't just her treats. It was her heart. Yesterday at the funeral, Lynn Talia Farrow shared about the very first Sunday that she was here. The first Sunday she came to Bethel Christian Fellowship. And she saw Borgie and Evelyn. Evelyn was alive at that time. And they were kind of talking to each other and whispering and pointing at Lynn. And Lynn was like, Who? Me? And finally they called her over and they just gave her a hug and said, Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And for Lynn, as an African-American woman, walking into at that time what was primarily a Caucasian congregation, to have that kind of welcome and have one of the elder saints of the church just put their arms... She said, I knew I was at home. 
That's hospitality. That's what we're called to. That's the legacy that we're called to continue to push forward. A house of prayer, spirituality, a place to believe. If there's one thing I know about Borgie, and I know a lot of things about Borgie, is I spent a lot of time with Borgie. She was a great friend. Borgie was a woman of prayer. I know how she prayed for my family. I know how she prayed for so many. She just prayed. And she was a woman of the Word. That it would be very hard to pick out a favorite scripture of Borgie's. Well, how could you? Because... She was in the Word all the time. She was always going to community Bible study, Bible study in her building. She was, she was just saturated in the Word of God. She lived that out. We get to live that out as well. That's the calling. Fifteen years ago, when renewal first hit this church in a very powerful way, not that there hadn't been renewal before, but a very significant move of the Spirit. We as an elder board gathered to pray and ask the Lord, what should we do? How should we respond? Should we have more special meetings? What, what should we do to, to, to um, respond to this move of your Spirit? And the Holy Spirit said to us, pray. Fast and pray. And it was out of that that a culture of prayer began to be established in this congregation where there are days of prayer, there are prayer gatherings regularly throughout the week. There is a constant saturation of prayer within the life of this congregation, which I'm going to call you back into again to remind you because that is what the Lord wants to do to drive our roots deeper. This fall, when we began to see a powerful move of the Spirit among our Bhutanese friends, in our youth and in many other places... We began to ask the Lord, what do we do? How do we respond? What should be a response to this moving of your spirit, this hurricane of your spirit that's coming? What are you calling us into? And he said, saturate yourself in my word. This saturate that we are going through, this, this scripture immersion experience, is a direct response to the leading of the Holy Spirit to put our roots down deeper so that our branches can go out wider, so that... Our leaves can bring healing to the nations. It won't happen outside of His Word. It won't happen outside of prayer. That's what the Lord is restoring in this congregation. That kind of deep spirituality that Pastor Ben was talking about. Going to the wellspring of life. Get it? Missionality. A place to become. We are called called to those who are not yet present. In fact, we exist as a congregation for those who are not yet here. This is not a club for the comfortable. This is not a club for the comfortable. This is a training base to go out of these four walls and touch lives everywhere. I'm going to exhort you again through the life of Borgie. The leader of her building, the the, the housing director of the building she lived in, Echo Ridge, a senior, she said, we've got a hundred, at least, a hundred residents under our roof. She said, I want you to know, Borgie walked the walk. She said, we have a hundred people living under one roof. A hundred older people, all with their own 
definite of how things should be, how things should go. She said, Borgi just navigated so beautifully through all of that. She was unfailingly kind to everyone. She influenced throughout that building with her life. She went to nursing homes. She went, she went with me. She was, I, I called her my um, pastoral care assistant. She would go visiting with me. When the, you know, I'd just bring her in with me to the hospital. Just she'd walk in the room and the atmosphere would change. Just, she was just so precious. She lived a life of missionality. Her and her sisters gave incredibly sacrificially to missions. In her last days before she was dying, she had to make sure that she had gotten her checkbook so that she could make sure to give a gift for the Christmas missionary offering. And let me tell you people, it was a substantial gift from a woman with not great means. But she loved our missionaries. She supported them. She had a mission no heart outside of these four walls. John Varghese, one of our missionary in India, several years ago, he gave a challenge which I have not forgotten. He said, how about if you just committed to $1 a day to missions? That means each month in that missions offering, you would add an extra check for $30. Everybody in this house did that? That'd be huge. Think about it. Pray about it. Ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Our destiny, again, is radiating life. It's irresistible. Life is irresistible. Death is not the end. Life is the end towards which we are called. It is the destiny. And everywhere we go, we are sent to distribute life. Irresistible. Life and joy. We are to radiate an infectious joy. I shared some scriptures yesterday in relationship to Borgie again. She was infectious in joy. The thing I'll miss, we laughed so much together. It didn't matter what kind of day I'd been having. I'd either pick up Borgie or I'd find her at my house when I got home at the end of a long day. And she'd just smile at me and she'd giggle and we'd start laughing. Her joy was infectious. A cheerful heart, Proverbs said, is like good medicine. One who has a cheerful heart has a continual feast. Proverbs 30, I'm sorry, Proverbs 15:30 says, "A cheerful look brings joy to the heart." When there's joy in us, the cheerful look on our face brings joy to others. It's infectious. This summer, my daughter Eleanor was married. Borgie was grandma to us. She was mom to Annette and grandma to us, really. I mean, as a family, she was incredibly dear. So she was part of the wedding and the, you know, and came down. And, and we have this picture, and I just, it just so much captures Borgie. I mean, just look at that face. And look at that smile. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. I just see that and I smile. 
I'm tying these two together. It's not because it, it, there's a prophetic purpose for this. You, we need to understand. This is the legacy. This woman has left a legacy in the life of this congregation that we have the opportunity, and I believe that in this year of 2010, the year of restoration, as God has been restoring our calling and making it more than just an aspirational value, but an incarnational reality, this is the shoulders upon which we're standing, moving forward. Amen? All right. I need help from somebody up in the sound booth who is going to be doing... PowerPoint for me. Kathy, thank you. I am going to go to slide number seven, please. Slide number seven. The Lord has been giving us... That's not it. (laughs) It's the one that says prophetic instruction expect. Prophetic instruction expect. Over the last many years, the Lord has given us prophetic instruction out of Haggai chapter 2. And I'm not going to take time to review all of that this morning. But I do want to say this, that there is a large one word, prophetic word that's been hanging over the congregation now for the last couple of years. Prior to that word was the word shift. And that still is hanging there as well. That dislodging and repositioning. But the prophetic word that the Lord has hanging over the house in this season is this word, expect. And I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning from Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith, this is, what, this is a definition of expectancy. And this is what I believe, kind of the larger sense of what God is calling, the macro thing that He is calling us as a life and as a heart together into as a congregation, is to expect with confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. When we're expecting something, we don't have it yet. But we're confident that we will get it. That's faith. It presses us beyond ourselves. We live looking forward. One last testimony about Borgie because I think it's important for you and I to hear. Borgie didn't, she wasn't concerned about dying. In fact, we never ended up getting around to talking about her funeral because she was way too busy living. And she was living looking forward. This fall, you know, this was just before her as she was starting to get sick. But she was here on a Sunday and that Wednesday when we were, I was driving her home after life group Um, late in the evening, and she said this to me. She said, wasn't service on Sunday wonderful? You just can't wait to be there. This woman was not living with life in the rearview mirror. She was full metal pedal to the future. And that's an expectancy. That's a faith. 
that God is calling us into as a congregation in this season to continue to expect and in response to that expecting to ask. You don't have because you don't ask, Scripture tells us. Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3. This is what the Lord says. The Lord who made the earth, who formed and established it, whose name is the Lord. Ask me. Say it with me. Ask me. Come on, say it with me. Ask me. me. And I will tell you remarkable secrets you don't know about the things to come. Ask me. And I will tell you. Remarkable things. All right. Now we move into 2011. 2011, the year of, we're going to come there. Jeremiah 30 to 33. This this is a scripture that I'm going to invite you to saturate yourself in this year. Because here's the heart, the scriptural heart of what God has for us in 2011. Jeremiah 30 to 33 is called the book of comfort. Let me give you just a little bit of context here. 2,500 And 98 years ago, next Saturday, January 15th, 588 B.C., the city of Jerusalem came under siege by the Babylonians. We know it that precisely. Our scripture is rooted in Reality. January 15th, 588 B.C. Jerusalem was under siege from the Babylonians because King Zedekiah decided, ah, we don't need to pay anymore. We don't want to be vassals anymore. So Babylonians came in, put them under siege. A year later, I'm sorry, two and a half years later, on July 18th, 586 B.C., the siege on Jerusalem ended and the city was utterly burnt and destroyed and the people were taken into captivity for 70 years. In between 588 and 586 B.C., which would be 587 B.C., is when Jeremiah prophesied to the people of Jerusalem about what they could look forward to beyond that captivity. Speaking to a people who were under siege, who were right in the midst of the battle, who were experiencing circumstances that were beyond their control, who were being beaten down and, yes, even destroyed, who were about to be... They were were suffering great hunger. There was panic. There was fear everywhere. Jeremiah speaks to them. He 
here's what I'm going to do, and I'm, 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 the Lord prompted me to do this, so I'm going to do it. It's a little bit risky, but I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to read you two full chapters of Jeremiah <laughs> to saturate you in this. And here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to posture your heart. And in fact, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want you to imagine right now for a moment that our city was under siege from an enemy. And there was panic in the streets. And everyone was crying out to hear a word from the Lord. And a word from the Lord comes. And I'm going to be reading this morning from the New Living Translation. I just want to mention to you, as we begin Saturate, I got a new Bible for for uh, my birthday at the end of November. And that Bible is in the New Living Translation. And I'm going to be doing Saturate because I've been reading the NIV for 30 years. And sometimes I can read the words and I don't see them anymore because I've read them so much. So I got a, a new translation to just kind of help fresh. And Pastor Dave Ogren has just said this New Living Translation has been wonderful. He's, he's appreciated it so much. So I'm going to read you out of the New Living. I, I usually preach out of it and will continue to preach out of the NIV. But stand to your feet and hear the word of the Lord as if. Listen. This is the poetic portion of the book of comfort. And it brings a poetic promise. Please stay present. We're, we're, we're going to come to an end fairly quickly after this. But listen carefully to the word of the Lord. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah and He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write down for the record everything I have said to you, Jeremiah. For the time is coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people of Israel and Judah. I will bring them home to this land that I gave to their ancestors. And they will possess it again. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the message the Lord gave concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. I hear cries of fear. There is terror and no peace. Now let me ask you a question. Do men give birth to babies? Then, why do you stand there ashen-faced, hands pressed against their sides, like a woman in labor? In all of history, there has never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel. Yet in the end, they will be saved. For in that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will break the yoke off of their necks and snap their chains. Foreigners will no longer be their masters, for my people will serve the Lord their God, and their king descended from David, the king I will raise up for them. So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, says the Lord, for I will bring you home again from distant lands, and your children will return from their exile. Israel will return to a life of peace and quiet, and no one will terrorize them. For I am with you and will save you, says the Lord. I will completely destroy the nations where I have scattered you, but I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but with justice. I cannot let you go unpunished. This is what the Lord says. Your injury is incurable, a terrible wound. There is no one to help you or to bind up your injury. No medicine can heal you. All your lovers, your allies have left you and do not care about you anymore. I have wounded you cruelly as though I were your enemy. For your sins are many and your guilt is great. Why do you protest your punishment, this wound that has no cure? I have had to punish you because your sins are many and your guilt is great. But all who devour you will be devoured. And all of your enemies will be sent into exile. And all who plunder you will be plundered. And all who attack you will be attacked. And I will give you back your health and heal your wounds, says the Lord. For you are called an outcast, Jerusalem, for whom no one cares. This is what the Lord says. 
When I bring Israel home again from captivity and restore their fortunes, Jerusalem will be rebuilt on its ruins and the palace reconstructed as before. And there will be joy and songs of thanksgiving. And I will multiply my people, not diminish them. I will honor them and not despise them. Their children will prosper as they did long ago. I will establish them as a nation before me and I will punish anyone who hurts them. They will have their own ruler again and he will come from their own people. I will invite him to approach me, says the Lord. For who would dare to come unless invited? You will be my people. And I will be your God. Look, the Lord's anger bursts out like a storm, a driving wind that swirls down on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not diminish until it is finished all he has planned. In the days to come, you will understand all of this. In that day, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. Those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings even in the barren land. For I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will be happy again and dance merrily with your tambourines. Again, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and eat from your own gardens there. The days will come when watchmen will shout from the hill country of Ephraim, Come, let us go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. Now this is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Israel. Shout for the greatest of nations. Shout out with praise and joy. Save your people, O Lord, the remnant of Israel. For I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth. I will not forget the blind and the lame, the expectant mothers and women in labor. A great company will return and tears of joy will stream down their faces. And I will lead them home with great care. And they will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my oldest child. Listen to this message from the Lord. You nations of the world, proclaim it in distant coastlands. The Lord who scattered His people will gather them and watch over them as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts. The abundant crops of grain, new wine and olive oil and the healthy flocks and the herds and their life will be like a watered garden and all their sorrows will be gone and the young women will dance for joy and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration and I will turn their mourning into joy and I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing and the priests will enjoy and my people will feast on my good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is what the Lord says. A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. But now, this is what the Lord says, Do not weep any longer, for I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. I have heard Israel saying, You disciplined me severely, like a calf that needs training for the yoke. Turn me again to you and restore me, for you alone are the Lord my God. I turned away from God, but then I was sorry. I kicked myself for my stupidity. I was thoroughly ashamed of all I did in my younger days. Is not Israel still my son, my darling child, says the Lord? I often have to punish him, but I still love him. That's why I long for him and surely will have mercy on him. Set up road signs, put up guideposts, mark well the path by which you came. Come back again, my virgin Israel. Return to your towns here. How long will you wander, my wayward daughter? For the Lord will cause something new to happen. Israel will embrace your God. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, when I bring them back from captivity, the people of Judah and its towns will again say, the Lord bless you, O righteous home, O holy mountain. Townspeople and farmers and shepherds alike will live together in peace 
and happiness. For I have given rest to the weary and joy to the sorrowing. And at this I woke up and looked around. My sleep had been very sweet. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will greatly increase the human population and the number of animals here in Israel and Judah. In the past, I deliberately uprooted and tore down this nation. I overthrew it, destroyed it, and brought disaster upon it. But in the future, I will just as deliberately plant it and build it up. The Lord, I, the Lord, have spoken. The people will no longer quote this proverb. The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. All, the pe- all people will die for their own sins. Those who eat the sour grapes will be the ones whose mouths will pucker. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I'll write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. It is the Lord who provides the sun to light the day and the moon and stars to light the night and who stirs the sea into roaring waves. His name is the Lord of heaven's army and this is what he says. I am as likely to reject my people Israel as I am to abolish the laws of nature. This is what the Lord says. Just as the heavens cannot be measured, as the foundations of the earth cannot be explored, so I will not consider casting them away for the evil they have done. I, the Lord, have spoken. The day is coming, says the Lord, when all Jerusalem will be rebuilt for me. From the tower of Hananiel to the corner gate, a measuring line will be stretched out over the hill of Gareb and across to Goa, and the entire area, including the graveyard and ash dump in the valley, and all the fields out to the Kidron Valley on the east, as far as the horse gate, will be holy to the Lord, and the city will never again be captured or destroyed. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Just to remind you, I just read two chapters. You're going to be reading about four chapters a day. So you do the timing, but it's going to be okay. You can do it. You can do it. Come tonight. We're going to talk more about that. We're not having dinner tonight, by the way. We will have treats, but don't expect a full dinner. Six o'clock. Bring your kids. We will have child care for the younger kids up to second grade or so. And then kids beyond that can be a part of and with us. Noah's telling me he's already read two chapters this morning and he's going to read two more tonight. All right. I want my kids saturated. All right. Now, I made a promise that I'd keep you moving here. So we're going to keep going. All right. There's a prophetic picture in Jeremiah 32, verse 1 to 25, and I'm going to let you read that. I'm not going to take time to read it, but I'm going to tell you what it is. The Lord comes to to Jeremiah when, in the midst of this siege that's happening on Jerusalem, the Lord says to him, I want you to buy a plot of land. I mean, Jerusalem's about to be destroyed. There's all of the land rights are about to be taken over and the Lord says, buy a plot of land. And you do that as a prophetic picture of my promise that this land will be yours again. This land will be my people's again. So that's Jeremiah 32 verses 1 to 25 and then 
the pastoral purposes behind all of this come into view in Jeremiah 32.16 to 33.26. And here's where I'm going to bring us in laser focus to what I believe the Lord has to say to us for this year, 2011. Jeremiah 32, 36b to 41. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they may never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. Three things that I believe connected to what the Lord has to say to us in this year. First is this. There's a call in the heart of God for repentance that we would turn back to God. This is the call of Jeremiah to the people of Israel. Turn back to God. Turn away from your other lovers. Turn away from your other allies. Turn away from all of those other things. Turn back to me. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a new covenant in your heart. The days are coming. We just read this. Declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 2011, the Lord is saying, turn back to me. Secondly, there is a release. He's saying, come back into freedom. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, when I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and in its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, you prosperous city, you sacred mountain. People will live together in Judah and all of its towns, farmers and those who move about it with their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. The Lord is going to break off those yokes. He's going to take off the bands that tie those yokes to us. He wants to release His people back into freedom, true freedom in Christ. So in this year of 2011, in addition to having us turn back to God, He is also inviting us to come back to freedom and experience the release that comes as a result of repentance. But it doesn't end there. Because He also wants to bring us into a place of reclaiming. To receive back His inheritance in our lives, in our families, in our community, in the nations of the world. 
This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, Jeremiah 33, It is a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. Several months ago in prayer, I received a very, one of those times where every so often this happens, where God just thunders a word into my spirit. It was on a Thursday morning. It wasn't anything I was thinking about. And the Lord put into my heart, deep into my heart, He put this word. He's put in the word plunder. And he said two things about plunder. And I want you to hear this. This is at the heart of what this next year is about. So listen carefully. He said, I'm going to plunder the enemy to bring back and to reclaim my... I want to plunder the enemy's camp. But he also said, I want to plunder your heart. He said, I'm going to plunder your heart. I'm going to plunder your heart because there are treasures that are buried there in your heart that I want to bring forth and bring out of your heart. I'm going to plunder you because you are my inheritance. Right after that, Liz Byer had submitted a word out of this Jeremiah 30 to 33 and that was the confirmation for what this year is all about. Now, I struggle. I, I don't know how to tell you how the process of receiving a prophetic theme for the year happens to me. It happens different. I already know what next year's is, 2012. So, all right. It just... God dropped that one to my spirit way early. This one, I struggled with not because I knew exactly what the Lord was saying, but I wasn't sure how to exactly articulate it. I thought of just saying it's another year of restoration. Because I believe it is another year of restoration. I thought about the year of plunder. (laughs) But that seemed kind of odd. I wasn't sure how that one would fly. And there's a Hebrew word that encapsulates all of what we've just been talking about. The repentance... The releasing, the reclaiming, the restoring. So I thought about using that. And so 2011 is a year of shub. (laughs) But how is that one going to work? So I'm going to invite Amy Watson and... uh, Pastor Sam to come on over here, Julie Thompson and Pastor Ben over here, Andrew and Sarah Howard, if you'd come on up here, and Greta and Dave, Greta, do we have, yes, do we have the thing, is it there, all right, they're ready, Greta, why don't you come stand up here if you would, Greta, come on up, Dave, you can join her if if she'd like you to come with, that's all right, either way. I have a creative team that every year takes 
what God's been stirring in my heart and they make something happen visually that I could never do in a million years. So grateful for them. Amy Watson showed up on uh, Friday, called me from the airport. I'm here. She just flew in from Singapore with the banner in her luggage and drove over here with the banner. Welcome. Let's welcome Amy back. Yeah. Her and Phil will be back here this summer by God's grace to be with us again for good. Yay. All right. Julie Thompson over here has been doing this for years and years and years and um, has just done stunning work again this year. So grateful for Julie and her help in all of this. Greta Sanquist creates those incredible bulletin covers. Do you saw all those bulletin covers? That's Greta's The Grace of God and the Gift working through her life. And I'm so grateful. I've worked with Greta for a long, long time. Sarah, Sarah Howard, I've known since she was about yay big to a grasshopper. And Sarah and Andrew, part of our Bethel, Minneapolis, and she's created a piece for Minneapolis as well. So, are you guys ready? Now, I want you to hear and I want you to get that this, this is not only a year two, okay? Not a year two. This is a year of, and I'll explain that in just, just briefly in just a moment, but 2011 is a year of return. Woo! All right. Hallelujah. Worship team. David. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is a year when the Lord is going to bring us back to Himself. We're going to return to Him. And He's going to release people who have been in captivity. And He's going to plunder the enemy's camp. And there is going to be return, people. And there is going to be a return on His inheritance in us. His investment in our lives. He is eager to have a return on His investment in you and in me. And there is going to be return of His inheritance in our lives. So once again, this is what the Lord says. And you may be seeing this about your own life and circumstance today. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before. Come on, stand to your feet and give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. Yeah. 